Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. In collaboration with Pacify Health, this month's episode's focus will be on the doulas. You'll hear conversations with four Pacify doulas getting a chance to reflect on the other side of birth. Today, we meet Laurie. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself? Um, I am Laurie. I'm a self-described taco lover, cat mom, a human mom as well, um, world traveler, free spirit, all of those, all of those wonderful magical things, uh, a nerd, scientist, all of those. Um, I really I love the body, everything about it, how it moves, how it works, birth included, obviously. I am super into like random topics. I like going down rabbit holes. I have a really big fascination with, even outside of like the body and things like that, I have a really big fascination with cults, which tends to throw people off. Uh, lately, it's been gardening uh, because I just relocated and bought a house a couple of months ago. So very excited to kind of plant and be able to grow a few things that I've had on my list, which means that I also have a bit of a honeydew list for myself, but chopping through that. And yeah, I love cooking. A clean talk has a chokehold on my soul, which I did not think that this is where I would be at this stage in my life, looking at videos in the middle of the night about cleaning things, but that's been fun too, because I decided that I needed a steam cleaner. So, yeah, I feel like that that encompasses like the the eclectic nature of how I live my life. <laughs> Welcome to like I feel like as soon as you start watching videos of cleaning or like what's the best vacuum to buy, you're in like real adult life now. You've reached the peak. <laughs> Those are the it's important crazy. things. It's crazy. And then there's whole channels dedicated, like Instagram things that are like dedicated to talking about these things. And I'm like, oh, that looks cool. I'd, I've learned some things. I was just like, I feel like I need to be a whole like cleaning influencer now. Because uh, I'm like, oh, I need to get that. See that in the store? Like, oh, they said this is good. Let me try to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a whole problem. How did you get here? How has your doula journey unfolded? I love this question because for me getting into birth work and how I found out about doulas has nothing actually to do with me giving birth myself. And I feel like that is not as common in birth work. I was working on a thesis paper in high school uh, and I, with my nature, was discussing alternative health, um, things that people were doing, what was kind of uh, happening in different parts of the U.S. and different parts of the world, compare and contrast and all of those things. I came across the term doula, looked it up, went down a rabbit hole as I want to do. And I was like, oh, this makes sense. Uh, chatted with like, you know, my mom and like some other like family members about it. And they were just like, oh, well, like, yeah, that's kind of cool. You know, we had you know, and so-and-so who would, if you were in labor or like having a baby, you went and spoke, spoke to that person because they had the knowledge and like she would give you this and like all of those different things. And then um, connecting with just like other family members because I have 
a large chunk of my family that resides outside of the U.S., um, multi-ethnic. Uh, so it was just one of those things that I was just like, oh, so this isn't necessarily, it's clearly not a new practice, but I think the way in which it's being framed now, I think is a little bit newer, specific to the U.S. Uh, so I came across it, I was 16 at the time. And I was just like, okay, that'll probably be something that like I would really enjoy doing at some point in my life. I had my laundry list and of things that I also wanted to check off before and knew at that point that when I was ready to have my home birth, my water birth, that I would have a doula specifically. So fast forward a little bit to that summer, I was visiting family, hanging out with my cousin who was pregnant at the time. And um, she went into labor and coincidentally, this is, you know, Christmas time. Christmas is a very busy season for birth workers. I of course did not know this as a 16 year old. And so I, uh, in the middle of the hallway at this particular hospital caught my cousin on the way out because there was no one there and it was Christmas time. And as you guys know, it's a very busy time of year. Um, so <laughs> fast forward again a little bit. Um, my uh, career in terms of healthcare took me a little bit all over the place. I worked in uh, mental health. I have worked in allied health. I've worked as a health and wellness coach. I've done myriad of things. And at the time I was working in education and I also had like my little side hustle going in terms of like personal training. Worked, ended up working with quite a few women who were in that early postpartum stage, trying to kind of eat better, figure out like, is there something I need to be eating to produce the most milk, which like ends up being a really big conversation. And then from that point uh, forward, I just had more conversations with close friends. I had been singing the praises of Dua. One of my best friends decided that she also was interested in taking a doula training. A couple of years later, she did. Um, and by this point, I was living in Michigan. My mom had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And after a couple of months, I was just like, you know, maybe I'll take this summer and really work on that. Um, things ended up taking a turn with her. So I ended up relocating back to the DC area. And once she passed, I was in a point where mentally I was not, I knew that I was not going to be able to return to the standard nine to five kind of job. It's kind of difficult to do that when you're uncontrollably crying throughout the day. And so I decided that I needed to tap into that other part of my brain that knows how to, how to go get some money when I need some money. Um, and at that point I thought about what my plan was a couple of months prior and said, okay, no, now is now it's now or never. Now is really the time. I didn't. I knew that I didn't need the standard type of schedule. I'm not a big fan of the traditional work schedule, and I knew that for where I was personally, and then also where my position was now going to be in my family and supporting like my stepdad and like my twin younger brothers who are both autistic, um, even though they're adults in terms of the care and the the day to day type of comings and goings. Uh, those are a lot of things that me and my mom discussed. And so that launched me into having a conversation with my cousin, who's also a doula in the area. And she 
put me in touch with the doula trainer that she had and the rest is history. I love hearing how your journey unfolded. You are like, right. I feel like for many people, it begins, it officially begins after they've maybe had children of their own. And there's this like wanting to contribute to shifting because they had a positive experience or maybe their experience wasn't what they were thinking. But um, love hearing that you were already in tune to this calling, to this work. Um, And like there was, there was a, a seed planted and you kind of just let things evolve on their own. Um, and so you caught your cousin unexpectedly <laughs> at 16. Um, what was it like to, um, you know, because our next question was going to be like, what would you remember your first birth? But that was your first birth. Like, what was the impact that that had on them when you did, when this did become something that you were fully in? Um, what were things that you had taken from that that experience into your first actual like this is my this is what I'm here for? I would definitely say uh, some of this I think has to do with my inherent personality. When I was working in ABA therapy, I worked at a facility in Richmond, Virginia called the Faceon Center, and I actually won an award, a superlative award for least likely to flinch in the face of bodily fluids. That was hilarious because I was just like, oh yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's me. That's pretty accurate. And it was even like when it was called out, like, you know, we're at like a little function, we're out, we're being cute. And I busted out laughing because I was just like, that is just indic- indic- indicative of how my brain works. I think that being at that age and particularly, you know, in the hospital, there's this hustle and bustle that, you know, there's all of these things going. Even the the nurses were shocked because I grew up in and around hospitals. My, my dad is a physician and my dad's a surgeon specifically. So there was never for me, you know, a grossed outness about the body and what it does because, you know, I'm six, seven years old. Uh, having lunch with my dad and watching the surgical technique on someone's, you know, intestines. So for me, I think it's kind of funny to reflect back on because it was just like, eh, okay, there's a baby here, but we should probably get a doctor stat because this ain't what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and even in that moment, I think the first thing I could think about was one of the nurses turning towards me and all of a sudden just being like, how are you so calm? Um, and it's it's one of those things that I think now serves very well. Um, my business name is The Harmony Doer. It was actually given to me by a close friend because she was just like, that is what you do. So it's just one of those things that for me, I think it just reflects reflects that I was always supposed to come back to this work, reflects that I was, I took the journey that I needed to take to get here. But at the same time, I'm just like, "Mm, okay, so like, what's going on? When something happens, like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to poop like when I'm giving birth. Okay. And if you do, so what? Literally shit happens. Am I right? You know, so like we, we go about our business and like keep it pushing. Uh, You know, I think also when it comes to like partners, particularly like male partners, um, they don't have a uterus. They don't have a vagina. So all of these things, you know, you get you get caught up in the 
the usual like, ah, like that's gross. Is it really? Is it more gross than how this baby got in here? I don't care how you got pregnant. Like when you really think about it, it's kind of gross. Like either way, either way it happens. It's a little bit gross. Much more gross, I feel, than the actual like baby coming out. So um, I feel like it's just informed, informed how much you're able to kind of bring of yourself to your work without necessarily making this work about you. And at the same time, how much freedom you have, which can be a pro and a con for some people or with some particular topics. But for me, it's just one of those things of like, I don't have to pretend to be someone I'm not. And for me, I'm just like, okay, I think you're wonderful. I think you're amazing. I think you're a badass birth goddess, but like, Okay, some poop came out. You know what? They wiped it and they kept it pushing. All right. Like, oh, your baby got a little little juice on him? Okay, well, would you rather it be dry? That don't sound comfortable to me at all. You know, when you made this baby, I'm sure you wanted things to be a little slippery. So wouldn't we want things to be the same on the way out? You know, like, it's for me, it's just like, I don't, I can have those kind of conversations with people because there's never been anything about birth, labor that's like that's put me off. So, yeah. Have you had an opportunity to support clients virtually and what has that experience been like for you? I have had both. I feel very fortunate that um earlier on I was able to have I think maybe like four or five virtual births where I was supporting like fully virtually. I think that it was it was very quickly something that I was just like, this feels a little bit more taxing than an in-person birth that I think most people just having conversations with different birth workers were kind of shocked that it sounds easier, you know, on the, the client, on the consumer side, it sounds like you're not getting as much support because you're not in person. And I feel like in one way, that shift to even people being open to having support virtually has opened up so many new avenues, not only for birth workers, but for families, because, you know, you're a- I'm able to support someone who could be in a completely different country, a completely different time zone. I can do that from home. Now, having a child that I'm taking care of 24 hours a day, I'm able to be on the phone, be on a Zoom call, do all of these different ways and support in the same way that I am accustomed to supporting in my private practice without feeling, I guess, the strain of, particularly for my area, what is traffic like today? How many how many prenatals can I fit in X amount of time? before rush hour hits and then if I'm if this person is only available in the evenings then okay I need to be on this side of I don't that's eliminated um one thing that I have kept in terms of even births that I have supported in person uh things have I'm not gonna say calm down but since things have just become a little bit more normalized I have kept uh the initial interview and like that first prenatal as virtual partially because timing i think tends to be a little bit easier i was running into situations where 
whether it was just a client was difficult to get a hold of or schedule conflicts. So it was just, for me, I'm finding that it's just easier. People are able to have like a little bit more standardized, like let's have our first prenatal at about this gestation, depending on when you hire me. Or we can get that first prenatal out of the way if you hire me and you already 35 weeks pregnant. So that's just allowed like more flexibility there. So that way, when we have what I call the dress rehearsal, which is the last prenatal before your birth, we're able to be a little bit more targeted, a little bit more focused. Generally, at that point, we've had uh, some, some more in-depth conversations in terms of how you can support what these comfort measures look like and things like that. So I feel like those things have been invaluable to me as a birth worker. So you've covered the, the, the spectrum of experience. Can you share what are some gems that you have taken from some of your clients from their births, from, from them? What are some gems that you, you've learned from them? I think one thing that I found really powerful, I was outside of the U.S. visiting family, and there was a woman birthing who, after um, her labor, had just said, and I, I remember hearing something similar. I was watching a documentary about birth. I don't even remember what the name of it was. But all she said was, every time I looked at my mother or my husband, I knew that I was all right. And it was her first time birthing. And she had been laboring for a few days. And she was just like, you know, I was just like, I felt like I was writhing in pain and I was like being all crazy. And then I would just look into my mom's eyes and I was just like, that was that was when I felt peace. That's when I felt calm. And I was just like, wow, like that's really, again, at that point when I was there, just kind of being in the space and supporting her in a way that I could, I was still a teenager. But I think that was something that for me was even just like, if you just are able to connect in that way with someone that you love and care about that's amazing um something i also learned was that they're just there we know that labor is a marathon no matter you know if you have a precipitous labor or no matter if your labor is 36 hours it's a marathon not a sprint so find your motivation and whatever is motivating for you, that's what we gonna rock with. That's where I am now as a result of having a client who was just like, every liquid that I have put in my body to this point, this child has tried to force me to throw up. One of the things that she just really could not wait to have was champagne. She, she had such a strong craving specifically for champagne. She's, she wasn't even something someone that drank regularly prior to getting pregnant, but she just had, I just, I don't know if it's like the crispness, the bubbles, whatever the case it was. And so I said, hey, like if that works for you, we can definitely use that with some guided imagery. We can talk about it. And I think I just mentioned it haphazardly. Like I was just like, yeah, I mean, like bring it to the hospital with you. If there's something that you could really focus on, you know, we always talk about focus points, uh, particularly for like imagery. And so I am like, okay, ready to meet them at the hospital and we happen to get there at the same time. And so I'm looking at her partner and he's stressed and he frazzled and I'm like, okay, here's what I need you to do. Take a breath. Okay, have you had something to eat? Do you need a snack? Give me the stuff and I'll wait right here. And he handed me a bottle of champagne. And I was like, 
you know, I said it. And because I said it, I'm going to hold it. So, like, if somebody questions you collectively, us, because I know that they're going to look at me like I'm crazy, like, y'all know what? Yes, we did. And and I'm going to take it up to the room. And that's what I did. And we put it directly across from her bed. And that was her focus. She wasn't trying to talk to him. She wasn't trying to talk to her mama. She had some people on FaceTime. She was, she swore up and down, like, I'm a wanna, you know, like laugh and joke about. No, 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 no. She was like, move out the way. I can't see the champagne. She's literally pushing, and the OB is like this, trying to catch the baby because she was just like, I can't see my champagne. And that, like, we, I could, I could still text her now and we would like cry laughing about it. But for me, it's one of those things of just like, I tell people from a, pot, a birth podcast that I was listening to, I think it's like birth nurse, not birth nurse. I can't think of the name of the podcast, but it was just like surrender or be dragged. And she was just like, no, you told, you told me that like surrender or be dragged. And I was just like, I'm surrendering to this process. But for some reason, that was just what I needed to like visually focus on to make it through. Cause she, as soon as she keyed in on it, she could talk cause she could do, you could check her blood pressure. You could do all of this stuff, but she was fine, but she was literally like zoned in. And for me, that is, it was just really awesome because it's like, again, she didn't care what she, there was no room to care about anything else. And I think the last thing for me was uh, supporting uh, someone who was choosing to be an only parent. She was having a home birth, which was, it was a lot. And I knew going into her particular um, her birthing situation that it would be a lot physically for me just being by default someone's only support person, but then also being the only support person in a home birth situation. But we got along really well. And I think just our personalities, the chemistry worked really well. And so I was just like, no, like we can, we can do this. Um, and... I remember at one point in her birth, we were laboring down because I was, she was, even without the midwife checking, we kind of like looked at each other and I was just like, I feel like she's going to bleed. I feel like at this point, we're waiting for the baby to just come down. And she leaned back and I think we're walking in the hallway and I'm just behind her and she leaned back and she just looked up at me and like with the like calmest voice, she was just like, I'm so glad you're here. I would have never been able to do this by myself. And I love that. And I, and I told her after, like, I was just like, ah, I love that. But I also kind of hate that. Cause like you would have done it by yourself. You would have, and you would have been awesome and you would have been amazing. But I think in that moment, I, I really, like I understood like what this work really means. Like, you know, like textbook wise, like, and, and even spiritually, like what this means to just like be holding space for someone in that way. But she, she, is the person that really, for me, was just like, no, g- girl, you, you doing something. And that means something. Even if you just, even if you're just telling somebody that they're doing amazing, like that does something for you. You know, everybody needs some encouragement. Everybody needs somebody. And I, and I thank her for that uh, because as much as, as much as she needed me to be there, I mean, I needed that in that moment. That's something that I think in some rough days and going going through like some crazy situations that I hold on to because I'm just like, no, like I'm I'm doing okay. If I can get like 
you know, one of those every every however many births. Like I'm, I, I feel like I'm doing okay. It's important for birth workers to feel validated in their space of work. Um, we don't take credit for a birth outcome or take ownership of it because it's not our births, but the work that we're doing and making sure that we can keep going, right? Or that we can check in with ourselves to make sure we're doing what's right for that particular client in that particular space and time. It's important to take inventory. It's okay to pat yourselves on the back when things go according to their plan, not our thoughts, not our ideas of what we think, you know, birth should look like, but what that client in particular wanted, whether it be from their own preferences Um, the conversations they had with you prior to, or even as things change during labor, as long as they feel um, affirmed in their choices, they felt heard, the the way things happen, the way you supported them, that's what's important. And it's okay to pat yourself on the back after that. And And I'm really bad at patting myself on the back as it is. And by the time I worked with her, I mean, I'd already... Career-wise, like when I started counting, I had already supported like 40-something births. Um, but I was in a space of where it was, I think, especially just having had so frequent hospital births, I think it was just a space of just like having constant people tell you like, oh, well, you know, like, yeah, my doula was great. But then I also had like a really nice nurse or like something like that. And I'm just like, I'm not taking credit. I'm not here to take credit for anybody's birth. Like I said, like with that client, like you were going to have that baby regardless whether I was there or not. Like that's just not going to matter. But and it was, I think for me, it was also just one of those things of just like, no, you can, you're allowed to pat yourself on the back. You're allowed to clap for yourself. Um, and I'm, I'm still trying to get better with that too. Do you recall a birth or prenatal experience that transformed your practice? I really, I really, really loved this question in particular. I think that, especially since giving birth, I think more people have just asked me, kind of has like giving birth like myself now, has that changed anything in my practice? And it hasn't, but I hadn't thought about how my practice has changed just in like a prenatal experience or a birthing experience with a client. And for me, it was over the course of the pandemic and working with a client whose mom had cancer. And so we connected very early on and I hadn't mentioned anything, you know, about like my mom passing or anything like that. Because I'm very open and very transparent with people, but at the same time, I do my absolute best to make sure that I do not make your birth experience about me. Like, yes, I'm here to support you and I'm going to hold you like 10 toes down on a percent, but your birth is your birth. And so I try to, even if I use myself as an example or things like that, I try to still make sure that I'm not making this about me. I'm not trying to compare, contrast or any of that. But obviously, like I shared, like, no, I'm how are you really feeling and dealing with that? Like you go to the doctor and yeah, like we know, we know the baby in there. He He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's kicking around. He's swimming. Okay. Like you're eating well, you're gaining the weight. How are you managing having waited until the appropriate time to have a child when you were ready 
and now your mom has cancer. And she was just like, you're the first person to ask me that. So how are you feeling? So we had that conversation and I shared that, you know, my mom had recently passed some cancer. I think at that point it had been, it hadn't even been two years. And she was like, whoa, like how, how do you navigate? How do you, how do you still live life? having this weighing on you every single day and everybody just else just walks around like they're fine and i was just like i'll let you know when i figure it out and we were checking in and doing our usual thing and uh she was very open with me she had to uh reschedule one of our like prenatal conversations because we had uh, started working together like a few months out from birth and she had to reschedule something. Something came up with her mom and her mom was moving in. She was on hospice. And so I was just like, no, no problem. Look, like go take care of what you have to take care of. I completely understand. Unbeknownst to me, her mom ended up passing before that next morning. And so the next time I reached out to her was a maybe, I think I had texted, texted her, but I think we actually spoke on the phone about a week later. Um, and when I texted her, it took her a couple of days to respond and she let me know that her mom had passed. And we are now, she's 35, 36 weeks pregnant, planning a funeral, going through that whole process. And she was like, I never thought about being a motherless mother as an adult. And I was like, you know what? I didn't either. And it's a, it's a club that I never thought about being in. Yeah, I mean, you know, they say, you know, like, oh, like treasure your parents, you know, like when you're a teenager, because they're not going to be around forever. Like, okay, like we know, got it. You know, like statistically, our parents are all going to leave before we do. But specifically, when it's the person who brought you life and you are in a space where at this point, any day now, you could be bringing life into the world. It's a very different situation. I, and I told her, like, I was just like, I have to tip my hat to you because I haven't had children yet. You are literally pregnant. And so I think that as a doula, as a woman, as a motherless child in that moment, all of that just had to come, had to come down. And we was just two girls on the phone just vibing sharing we weren't talking about anything in particular and both of us are very similar in personality we're not big criers no no one cried there were no tears shed it was just a this is an interesting space and you know being the oldest and dealing with all of these different things and dealing with people's assumptions of just you know everyone's trying to give you space and like but at the same time crowding you like how are you feeling can i do anything and it's just like can can you just do what you gotta do and I think for me, that was very much a, as much as, like I said, working with the other client was very much confirmation that I'm supposed to be doing this work and this work is bigger than me. I think that for me was a reminder that even while I'm doing this work and while I'm working with people, that there are still whole lives that are being led outside of this one moment. And again, I think it's easy 
as a birth worker to kind of get so singularly focused on this one part of this person's life? Because it, it's a big part, albeit it's a very big part. It's a very serious part, but it, it's still a part. And it's, and it's time for time and pound for pound. It's not a very long part, but it's a very intimate and special space. Um, she was one of the first people client-wise that I wanted to tell when I found out that I was pregnant and specifically when I found out that I was having a son. And it was funny because even though it's via text, we don't really talk much over the phone these days. And this it's been almost three years since she gave birth. Um, but she, I could like, I could just feel like her joy, like in the text, like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe like you're having a little boy. I know your mom is just looking down and is so preppy and so proud of you. And so, and you know, just like, she never met my mother. Like, you know, she met me as a grown woman, as a doula, I'm out here like living my best birth worker life and like all of this other stuff. But it's just like to be able to have that type of, that type of real life connection with people. I think it's a very, it's something like very sacred to me that I hold on to. Like I love all of my clients. I love all of the families that I work with. And I definitely have like some bonds where these people are like friends and like these people are like, like family. But like, that is a, like, she is in a completely different level with me basically because of our shared experience, but also because it's just like, no, like we know each other on a different level. And that for me, I think has opened up, opened my eyes to, again, like the fact that people are living whole lives. Um, but also for me, I think it just opened up a, a different place in my heart that I didn't even know existed. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I I really I resonate with you saying like I do think we as birth workers, especially as we um get into the work and it becomes routine is not the word I want to use, but we've found our rhythm with the work, right? Like we know what the what part of the meeting we're gonna say this part or like what to bring to this visit or what check-ins to do that we do we do sometimes forget that, yes, this is a singular part of a full experience of this family that we're working with or this person that we're supporting and that we should always check in with ourselves. Have we tapped into how that other part of them might be affecting this one day? Um, so I just really, I, I appreciate you, you sharing that experience, but also bringing that to the forefront of something for us all as birth workers to tap back into um, when we're supporting families is sometimes check in with your rhythm. Is it too rhythmy? I don't right. think that's a word, right. but right. check in with your rhythm. We're going we're gonna to make it a word. <laughs> Does it need a new beat? Like what can we, you know, right. just every once in a while. I mean, back actually, does, does it need a new beat? I tell people like in an interview that I'm just like you, I love like having referrals and I'm like, I'm amazed sometimes. They're like, oh, they actually referred me to someone. Like, thank you. Oh, my goodness. I get really excited with referrals, but at the same time, I have to warn people that it's just like, you may not necessarily need the kind of doula that that person got. Like, I'm not I'm not necessarily the same doula for every birth. That doesn't mean that I'm slacking, but you just may not require that. You know, I've been, <laughs> I've supported clients who, 
you know, I mean, we can can I come to the bathroom with you? Like, ma'am, what? You what? I I've literally and she was holding my hand through the door while I was like trying to stretch and pee because she was just like, I just, I just don't don't leave me with these people. These people, that's your family. You've known them longer than me. Like with these people. But you know, that was what she needed. And of course, like you could laugh with them after the fact, but it's just like, you know, your sister, your friend, your aunt, your neighbor, more than likely will not need that level of closeness with me. It's uh, wow. uh, definitely like doesn't need a new beat because I'm like at this point every every family might get a new beat. So how does Pacify fit into your doula journey? Whether providing providing um, you know from vir- virtually from in person, how does Pacify fit into this for you? For me, Pacify fits because again, it's just an opportunity to work with people who may or may not be. I mean, we may not be on the same coast as me currently, um, particularly within the Medicaid population. I know that um, with all the grants and all of the, the ways in which more um, industries and more governmental agencies are looking at doulas and wanting to work with doulas, a lot of people aren't actually taking those steps. And so to be able to even tap into the to the Medicaid population, even if it's just to answer some questions here and there, or you know, be a, a sounding board for some people. I've had some calls on Pacify where, again, like I mentioned, we may start talking about, I have questions about breastfeeding, I have questions about epidurals, and then we get into how has your pregnancy been for you holistically? How has this experience been for you? Because those things are also going to come into play, whether you realize it or not, when it comes into labor, when it comes into birth, when it comes into how is your labor progressing and all of those different things. And I feel like it has been a blessing to to reach those families who, for some, may not have had access not only to me, but to other doers. Is there anything else you want to share with listeners? I would definitely say in terms of resources, to look into the things that you already tapped into. There's plenty of birth-related podcasts. If you want to talk about birth and you are a person of color and you are deaf, there is a podcast specifically for you. Um, Or um, if you um, have cerebral palsy and you want to know is it possible for you to have a vaginal birth there's you know a podcast out for that um there's so many different ways in which i think technology has really lifted us up in that regard you don't if you don't have the time to read you don't necessarily have to sit and read if you don't have the time to i don't know go take a birthing class every week for 12 weeks you don't necessarily have to do these things in the traditional way anymore that there's plenty of other options that we have at our disposal and i think in terms of experiences not only from my personal birth but also from those i have supported i would definitely say that 
first things first, and it's something that I tell my clients as well. Someone else's birth experience is not and does not have to be your birth experience. I am a big proponent of being very real, very honest with where you are. One of my favorite taglines is, this is shit. And you're allowed to say that this is shit. So if you feel like you need to say it, I'm giving you permission to say it, right? There's so much in this work, whether it's baby-related, birth-related, that is just rainbows and sunshine. And for some people, that's the case. I, I fall into that category myself for me. Like, yeah, things were... Things were chill. I was chilling. But I also know that that's not the case for everyone. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing. It doesn't have to be scary. So I think that for, I've spoken with way too many clients, I'll say. We were just like, oh, like I really was interested in having a home birth, but my family's talking me out of it. Why? Why do we have to talk someone out of something that they want to do? If this person is making a well-informed choice and they're ready to kind of do the work that it takes to do something like having a home birth, for example, why do I have to talk you out of something because I'm scared for you? Why do I have to, as a doula, I don't talk anybody out of getting an epidural if they want an epidural. It's not my job. Do you feel like you need an epidural? Because I'm not having this baby. I had a client who gave birth to an 11-pound baby. She thought about an epidural, and that was her fourth baby. Had she gotten it, I'd have been like, okay, live your best life. And then what are we going to do after? The same thing I would do, you know, if you hadn't had an epidural. So I think that, for one, like I said, Someone else's experience does not have to be, doesn't have to inform your birth experience. But then also for two, can we stop fear mongering among like just the whole thing? I know that media will also play a part in that, but media is always supposed to be dramatized, right? Like it's supposed to be, you know, oh my gosh, somebody's sweaty and screaming in labor and ah, and for some people, their birth may look like that. Not everybody's looks like that. Um, you know, for people that are pregnant and afraid to raise their arms too high because their aunt told them that, you know, your cord will tie in a knot around a baby's neck. Like, what, what? No, that's not. Where does that where does that come into play? There's just so much fear mongering that I I wish we could stop. I just wish we could be we could just wrap it up and put it up in a closet in the back so nobody sees it anymore. And like. You know, just put it in the attic because then we know nobody's going to touch it. Um, yeah, I think those will be like my my biggest things of like, can we just, can we not do that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and just sharing your journey with us and letting our community of listeners get to know you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 